If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 tonight. Very important message that God's laid on my heart for such a time as this evening. Um, I committed to the deacons. Uh, when I first took over the pastorate that my plan was to uh, preach on financial stewardship, some type of message in, those, in that regard for every quarterly financial report that we have. And I'll never forget the deacons meeting where God just almost shoved this into my heart and mind. It was through the counsel of our most seasoned deacon, Monty Elmore. And uh, he just basically told me and my dad both, you guys don't preach on giving enough. And that's why I like Brother Monty. In all seriousness, um, meet with those deacons once a week and cover the spiritual care of our people. I solicit their counsel on the biggest decisions of our ministry. And I, I am just so thankful for you men. Monty just represents the rest of them that speak into my life just like that. And I knew that, that because I preach next chapter, next verse, um, then there might be weeks or months that go by without preaching on financial stewardship. And I, I do agree with you, Brother Monty, we need to preach on it because Jesus preached on it. And he preached on it often where he talked about heaven, hell, marriage, any of those things that we talk about a lot. It's because Jesus knows how much our finances are connected to the spirituality of our life, how much they reveal about our heart. And I found that if you get defensive about hearing a financial message, it's because you don't have a biblical worldview of money. If something inside of you gets very, very uneasy about finances, it could be because you think your finances are yours. They're not yours. And they're not mine and they're not this church's. They're God's. And that's why we choose to focus on these kind of messages. When it comes to money, guess who the easiest person in your life is to lie to yourself. Like when we really want to spend our money to make a purchase that maybe we shouldn't make, we become our own, our own salesperson. Like we literally start selling the item to ourselves in our head and we'll even lie to ourselves in order to make the sale. Guilty as charged. We lie to ourselves when it comes to financial saving and planning we know we need to build an emergency fund. We know we need to start a retirement savings account. But because an emergency doesn't seem realistic right now, and because retirement feels so far away, we tell ourselves four words that are a lie. I'll do it later. When it comes to spending and saving money, the easiest person to lie to is yourself. And if that's true with spending and saving money, it's also true when it comes to giving money. Because we all tend to give ourselves too much credit when it comes to how generous we really are. Think about it. If someone were to put you on the spot and ask you this question, are you a generous giver? It's more than likely you would default to saying, yeah, I think I'm pretty generous. I mean, I'm a giver. I mean, who's going to say out loud, you know, I'm a pretty stingy person. Thanks for asking. <laughs> the truth is that it's easy to exaggerate our generosity. It's easy to lie to ourselves about how generous we really are. And that's why I titled the message tonight in the form of a question. How generous are you? Really? 
I added that last word to the question because it probes us to think a little deeper and more honestly, doesn't it? Are you a generous person? Really? Because I think we're prone to deceive ourselves about how generous we really are, including myself. Let's just get Jesus' opinion tonight on the kind of giver that he thinks is really generous. And he makes the case clear in Mark chapter 12 because we find Jesus observing the offering in the temple. And through his observation, he teaches his disciples and us today what generosity really looks like. Look at verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. Now stop there for a moment because I want to explain to you what the treasury was. It was an outer part of the temple that occupied, they say, about 200 square feet. Inside the treasury and against the wall were 13 trumpet-shaped boxes. These trumpets had various inscriptions and they designated to what purpose the various offerings were to be directed. Nine were for things like legal dues and temple taxes. And then four were for voluntary contributions such as giving to the poor. The verse says this treasury was where Jesus was. And notice what the verse said next. He beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. That word beheld is very interesting. The Greek word gives us our English word theater. So it seems to mean more than just passive observation. It actually means thoughtful and careful observation. I mean, if you were to go to a musical theater and that's your thing, and you watch a Broadway play, you would be watching with thought while following the plot, analyzing the characters, listening intently to the lyrics of the songs, and then anxiously awaiting the climax of the story. That's what Jesus was doing. He was watching their giving like sometimes we watch a movie. Thoughtfully. He was into it. He was sitting in the corner of the treasury, treasury and he was noticing how they gave their offerings. That's what it says, right? How the people cast money into the treasury. So it wasn't so much the matter of giving that concerned Jesus. It was the manner of giving that concerned him. He was captivated, captivated by how they gave on this day. And notice what Jesus saw. He saw two givers. One is the category of the rich. One is the category of a single poor widow. First, he noticed the rich in verse 41. And many that were rich cast in much. Now, the idea is not that these people were super wealthy individual casting in hundreds of thousands of dollars. Pay attention, please. Jesus is using comparative language. And he's about to compare their offering to a poor widow's offering. And it's not that everyone except the poor widow was really wealthy in the room. It's that by comparison or in comparison to the poor widow's income, everyone else looked really rich. So it appeared as though they gave much by comparison. If you don't think you're rich, then you need to compare yourself to the rest of the world. Because if you live with a roof over your head and you have clothes on your back and it looks like everybody's clothed tonight, you have more than two pairs of shoes and you own a vehicle, you are on the top 1% of the world. You are rich by comparison. Now, I know you wouldn't call yourself wealthy and Jesus wasn't calling these cells, every single person that, that came under the category of rich, wealthy by comparison to the poor widow who he's about to talk about. They were really, really rich. Verse 42. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. Now, this was a widow woman, right? 
It meant that she was the least of the least in the cultural context of that day. There was no life insurance for her to collect for her husband's death. There was no GoFundMe account she could set up on Facebook. There was no government assistance as we know it today. She gave two mites, this poor woman did. The mite was the smallest bronze coin in circulation in Palestine. It was virtually worthless. They say that one mite would be equal to one-eighth of our penny in America. So her total offering was only worth about one-fourth of our penny today. Now, if you were to look honestly at these two offerings, what the rich cast in and what the widow cast in, who cast in more? I know you smart spiritual people know the answer, but pretend like you don't. Because if you were a disciple in the room, you don't know the answer. You're only basing it on the size of the offering. Basic mathematics will tell you that the rich cast in more. And maybe if the disciples were the treasurers that day, they'd be right. But Jesus is the ultimate church treasurer. Brother Kevin, he's the head, head treasurer of Fellowship Baptist Church. And let's see how he counted the offering. Look at verse 43. And he called unto them his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast in the treasury. Now, remember, the disciples have no context. They haven't heard this message preached a million times. They're immediately thinking, wait a second. You're telling me that poor widow woman cast in more than all the other rich people. She only put in two mites and they put in hundreds of dollars. And you're saying she put in more? Now, how's that possible? It's almost like Jesus was using the Washington, D.C. math. Look at verse 44. He explains, for all they, the rich, did cast in of their, what's that next word? You know what that word means? It means surplus. Meaning they gave what they would never miss. Because it was left over after they first spent their money on what they wanted. What they gave required no financial adjustment at all compared to how much money they had. What they gave in the offering was really no big deal. Look what he said about the widow's offering. But she of her want, verse 44, did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Jesus said she didn't give out of her surplus. And here's why. She didn't have a surplus. She got it, gave out of her want. That means she gave out of her poverty. All she had to her name was two mites and she gave them both. And here's what Jesus is getting at. Generosity is more about total sacrifice than total amount. Jesus valued the tiny gift of the widow over the total gift of the rich because relative to what she had, she gave so much more. In percentages, the poor widow outgave all the rich combined and it wasn't even close. Have you ever heard of Mark Zuckerberg? Don't cringe. He's the founder of Facebook, one of the youngest self-made billionaires in the world. They say he's also one of the most 20 generous people in the world. You can look it up online where about five years ago, he pledged to give 99% of his Facebook shares away to charity, which at that time, five years ago, was $47 billion. I can't even fathom that amount of money having it, let alone giving it away. And to me, that seems really generous. 
But when you consider that his total net worth is $107 billion, is that really generous? I mean, the poor guy's going to have to learn to live off $60 billion. We ought to just stop right now and pray for Mr. Zuckerberg. I've got an older statistic. It's in 2017. I couldn't find anything newer. But GivingUSA.com says that in 2017, America reached a new high in charitable donations. The combined charitable giving in 17 among Americans was $390.5 billion. Is that generous? Well, the IRS says that the average American household in 2017 only gave away 2 to 3% of their total income last year, in 2017. You look at that $390.5 billion. Wow, that looks like a ton. Mark Zuckerberg's $47 billion. That looks like a ton. But is it really? If Jesus were to count it, would he call it generous? I would say no, because he's not about the total amount. He's about the total amount of sacrifice. See, here's the point. I don't think we're as generous as we think we are sometimes. And I don't think Jesus is nearly as impressed with your offering as you are. Because when he counts the offering, he uses a different calculator. Jesus doesn't count the amount of money. He counts the amount of sacrifice. You know what that means? Please listen. Jesus is not as concerned about the amount on your check that you drop in the offering plate as he is in the amount left over in your checking account after you give the offering. He's not as concerned about the amount you give as he is concerned about the amount you keep. If you're not getting the point, let me say it this way. Real generosity hurts. Do you hear me? Real generosity hurts. You know why? Because Jesus just proves the point that generosity is only generosity when there is sacrifice involved. And sacrifice, last time I checked, hurts. C.S. Lewis put it brilliantly. If our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, and amusement is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably given too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that our giving is too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our giving to God excludes them. Ouch. C.S. Lewis is 100% right. If there is nothing about our lifestyle that has to change because of our giving to the Lord, we're not generous. Because true generosity always involves sacrifice. I think the principle is very, very clear. In Mark chapter 12, it hurts, but it's clear. And here's what it does. It causes us comfortable givers to reevaluate our giving. Because if we can give every week in the offering and walk away and not even squirm a little bit because of what we know we can't do, because of what we did to put the Lord first, you might qualify as a comfortable giver, not a sacrificial one, not a generous one. I've got news for every one of us. Fellowship Baptist Church has been built on the backs of sacrificial givers, not comfortable givers and not convenient givers. I can apply this in all kinds of different ways tonight pastorally. Could apply it to the tithe. I call the tithe the first fruits giving. 
That, that, that means we take that from the Old Testament where, where they would take it right off the top of their crops. Right off the top of their fruits, they would go and give that tenth to the Lord. That's the starting place. By the way, that is a non-negotiable amount. God has set that for us. It's first fruits. It comes off the top. And can I say this? It is every income earner in the house. The husband gives and the wife gives. And I would challenge you if you own a business that you give off your business earnings too. Why? Well, God will bless it. That's a generous giver. And it's the first fruits. That's non-negotiable. But I'm not going to apply it there. I'm not going to apply it there. I'm going to apply it to our free will offerings. Not our first fruit offerings. I'm going to apply this principle to our free will offerings. I'm going to apply it to one specific free will offering that I'm burdened about tonight as a pastor. And you might have caught it on our our, uh, finance report. It was the fact that we only made 80% of our missions giving. And if you can look at that and wonder why, and just skip past it, not even wonder what's going on there, then something's going on in your heart that's not quite right. Because the church exists to reach the lost. The church exists for missions. We don't exist so we could have padded chairs and a comfortable facility that's paid off by December 25th and awesome nurseries and a really cool pulpit and a top shelf pastor. You don't exist for that. Listen, we exist to reach the world. And so as a pastor, I must say, I'm I'm concerned about our missions giving. Now, let me make some preface statements before I dive into this. We didn't have a missions conference. By the way, that shouldn't affect those who know what Faith Promise Missions is. Whether we have it or not, shouldn't affect what how you, you shouldn't find it out. You should be trying to find a way into giving to missions. But here's what I know is, is, is that a lot of folks have joined the church. And a lot of new folks have joined the church. And they aren't from uh, an independent Baptist background. And, and the independent Baptists are the ones that pioneered faith promise, missions giving. So a lot of other Baptist organizations, they will take their missions money right out of their general tithes. So they'll take 10% out of their general offerings, right? And they don't, they don't ask for admissions on top of the tithe. But a man by the name of Clifford Clark, a man by the name of Clark, uh, uh, um, Clark, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Clark Bozier, maybe? No, that, that I, he preached for us. It, it's, it's a really old guy that signed my Bible not too long ago. But um, Clifford Clark and one other guy lives in Springfield, Missouri right now. Tends to Brian Baptist Church. That's it. Carl Boonstra. I knew, I knew a C and a B was in there somewhere. Anyway, useless fact, but they, they, have pion- they pioneered faith promise and, and spread it all over the Midwest. And then it, it spread out all over the nation. And you look at the percentages independent Baptists have given so much to missions when they have called their people to do it above the tithe. It's amazing. Pragmatically, it's just phenomenal. And there have been a lot of people that have joined our church, thankfully, 28 people in 2020. We've already had that many, close to that many people join in 2021. And and, and a lot of folks don't come from that background. So we got to be, I got to have common sense to understand they haven't been taught yet. And so I'm going to take time to teach you before the missions conference, what faith promise is all about. I'm going to teach you why we do it that way and and, going to show you um, why that is effective. 
And, and then we're going to have a missions conference. Now, this would have been on your magnet that we handed out on Vision Night. And it's what I call the don't miss dates. April 21st through April 25th. It's a Wednesday night um, through a Sunday night. We, we meet on Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, take Saturday off. Meet on Sunday morning in here for Sunday school. Sunday morning for worship, Sunday night. We will have three missionary families with us. Um, are we still good for Brother Tice? Do you know? Okay, so, so these, are the, these are the three we have planned. The Hall family to South Africa. The Martinez family, who's planted the church in Boulder, Colorado. And Sean Tice, who's the founder of Life Factors Ministry. Really, really awesome ministry to the fatherless in America. Then we're bringing in Pastor John Waterloo. Uh, to be our keynote speaker for each service. So there will be a missionary presentation each evening, plus a keynote message on missions. You will learn a ton about missionaries, about missions giving, about faith promise, and you need to be there every night. I'm going to say that because this is the most important meeting we will have at our church all year long. It's more, more important than a business meeting. It's more important than a revival meeting. It is the most important extra Sunday type meeting that we have. And I, I do not want you to miss it. And, and on that Sunday morning, after you've heard preaching on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're all going to come in here and you're going to be given a card. It's a commitment card. You're not going to write your name on it because the faith promise commitment is, is a vow that you make to God. The only thing we know at the end of the day is the amount. We don't know who committed what, so I don't chase anybody down or anything like that. You, you pray carefully all week long and see what God wants you to do by faith above your tithe. It's a free will offering. Some people give weekly. Some people uh, give every other week. Some people give monthly like, like I do. Um, but, but we add up all those commitments at the end of that Sunday. And that's how we form our annual missions budget. And so based on that commitment, now we know kind of what we can spend for the cause of missions. And by the way, I don't like to carry a big old whopping mission savings account. We, we want enough to be able to take care of spontaneous needs, take care of our own missionaries and, and, and all of that kind of stuff to be generous on the spot. But I want to put that money out. I want to give that money away. I want to help people reach souls both here in Liberal through our ministry missionally and, and, and in our country with church planners and the, the ministries to the fatherless and Bible colleges to train missionaries and then outside of our country to, to all these kinds of, of, of nations where, where missionaries have answered the call. Now, I want to mention something to you about this missions offering in particular. I asked Brother Mike to use our giving software. To examine our missions giving just for the last, the last quarter of 2020, just like we do our, our tithe. And, and here's what he found. There's already 35% of the church membership not even given a tithe. But sadly, there is 43% of the church membership not given a penny to missions. Now, like I said before, some of this reason for the percentage could be because we didn't have a missions conference. A lot of people just aren't aware. We have a lot of new members. Uh, even in the latter part of 2020, there would have been a, a few... Uh, new members, not many, but a few new members, members that would fall into that category. But that's a small portion, church, of our church membership. A small portion. I believe the real problem, and I want to say this kindly but, but boldly, I believe the real problem with this percentage is that there are many of our established members who are unwilling to make the sacrifice necessary to give above their tithe to worldwide missions. There are some that don't even give a missions offering, and frankly, 
There are some that only give a token missions offering. I mean, a missions offering that, that is pennies compared to their tithe. I want you to really examine, church member, what you give to missions. Did you do that tonight? Fairly examine that. And ask yourself when it comes to missions, am I generous? Really? Does it require any sacrifice? Does it require any faith? Does it hurt or hamper your lifestyle at all? Or do you just give out of your surplus? Out of the extra after you spend what you want, just like the rich gave in the temple offering. Do you just give a little bit off the, off the extra, the back end of your financial budget? It's ironic to me that it was a widow woman who was willing to sacrifice the most in her offering and who was the most generous because our research shows it just shows us demographics. It shows us that two of the top ten mission givers in Fellowship Baptist Church are older women. One a widow and one a single elderly woman. I'm talking about two women who are living on single incomes. Two women that give their first fruits offering their tithe incredibly faithful and on top of that give a very generous free will offering to missions. Two single women. What an indictment that might be. On, on, on the two income families who don't even give an honest tithe. Let alone a sacrificial or generous offering to missions. I'm calling on all of us tonight to have a generous heart like the widow. I want to ask you, are you really giving until it hurts? You may be thinking, Pastor, why does this mean so much to you? For crying out loud, we have 175,000 surplus from the tithe and we've given 255,000 emissions in just one year. Don't you think you're a little uptight? Well, as the under shepherd of this flock, I want to be most concerned with what the chief shepherd of the flock is most concerned about. And that's not the total amount of the offering. That's the total amount of sacrifice. Oh, I praise God. Believe me. For the $175,000 surplus, and we're able to do all kinds of things with that. Put it on our loan, build up our emergency fund, uh, pay off things, do projects with cash. It was awesome. Ministry went forward. It was great. You've heard about that. But I'm troubled. As the under-shepherd, by the 35% of church members who aren't even tithing. I'm troubled by the 43% of church members who aren't given a generous and sacrificial offering to missions. Would you agree that if that 35% just gave an honest tithe, we'd probably already have the building paid off? 43% of church members aren't given to missions. It's not the amount of offering, the $175,000. $100,000 surplus in general. It's not the total amount, 255,000 in missions that reveals whether or not we're a generous church. It's the amount of sacrifice that reveals whether or not we're a generous church. And if Jesus got his calculator out tonight and he took a tally of our generosity as the under-shepherd of this flock, I feel compelled to tell you my heart is that we would pass the test. I want Jesus to look upon our congregation and say, yep, when I count the offering, they're generous. It doesn't matter what the trustees and treasurers and financial secretaries and, 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 and frankly myself, it doesn't matter what we think that we are. 
We can't get fooled by the total amount. We need to focus on the total sacrifice and you can't make that decision or that call for anybody but yourself. And so I'm calling on you to ask yourself this question. Are you a generous giver? Really? How do I know? Does it hurt? I'm not asking you how much you give. I'm asking you how much you keep. Doesn't mean you can't have fun with money. God's given you richly all things to enjoy. Doesn't mean you can't live, uh, go on vacations and drive wonderful cars. And if God has chosen to prosper you in those ways, you understand my heart in that. Come on, I'm not going to buy a cheap suit just because I'm cheap. I'm going to buy a nice tongue, I'm going to buy a nice suit, I'm going to buy decent shoes. We bought a decent house, we enjoy life. But at the end of the day, we really, really, really need to stop and evaluate ourselves in this item of giving because we tend to give ourselves a little too much credit. And I would warn you, if there's something internally that is bubbling up, like a defensiveness or a pride, maybe what the disciples would have felt in this moment, then I would ask you to reorient your worldview about money and ask you to start thinking about your money, or rather, about God's money, like he thinks about his money, that he allows you to steward for him. Because at the end of the day, I want to look in the eyes of my Savior when I give account of this flock. And I want to be able to say, yes, yes, Savior, I stood before them. And I told them how you count the money. And at that point, that's all I can do. And so I'm not trying to throw a wet blanket over any of the great things we heard tonight. But just like the, the shepherd would leave a healthy flock to go where just one sheep, I'm going to see where we can improve. And if you're healthy and you're giving, great, great, keep it up. But there's a pretty large portion of our church that that isn't. And I want to challenge you in two ways for the invitation tonight. If God has spoken to your heart about your giving and it's not sacrificial, it doesn't hurt, it's not generous according to his calculations, then I want to ask you to come repent of that tonight. Number two, if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you're standing before God right now, you would be qualified as a generous giver in his eyes, then here's what I want you to do. Just come tell him thanks. God, thanks for letting me spend your money that way. Thanks for teaching me generosity. Thank you for the moments where your grace enabled me to give when I didn't feel like it and paper said we couldn't. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed?